0: you might as well wear the rainbow dress you might as well wear the the poofy outfit you might as well present yourself how you feel best because the people who see you who understand you who want to be around you are going to love you all the more for it and those are the people that i want to be around i want to be the people around the people who understand my vision might have a similar vision they have a different vision. At least they can, at a fundamental level, respect my perspective. Those are the people that I care about. I don't care about the people that are going to be pressed about an outfit that I'm wearing that looks like it belongs in My Little Pony. Like that sounds dope to me. That's what I. Those are the people I want to be around. You're not yeah. gonna win them over anyway, so why try? Right? Just, just. It sounds so cliche, but just being yourself is the most radical form of self-love that you can give to the world and to give to yourself.
1: Dímelo, dímelo mi gente, what's good? Welcome to another episode of the can Do It As podcast brought to you by Plural. As a quick reminder, on this podcast, the mission is to redefine professionalism. So every week we have a different guest join us for a very candid conversation around their experience between professionalism and authenticity. The goal is to give you the right representation to help you feel empowered, inspired to start finally being your most authentic self, regardless of where you are. Speaking of guests on this week's episode, we are joined by Rachel Lowenstein, who these days is the global head of inclusive innovation at MindShare. She essentially leads the strategy and innovation for how brands today use a combination of marketing, media and technology to really reshape society for good. We actually get into some of the work that she just premiered at the Cannes Lions Festival. Recently, she even co-created the Impact Index with support from WPP's Racial Equity Fund. essentially a tool that analyzes the impact of media on marginalized communities so that it can help brands shift their investments away from content that may be harmful for those communities rachel is a respected industry thought leader and her insights have been featured on ad age Week, the new york times campaign magazine and more she's even been named as business insiders 35 under 35 in advertising weeks future is female award for her creativity in media. On a personal level, as an autistic woman, Rachel is also a content creator on various platforms, including TikTok, LinkedIn, and Instagram to really educate and advocate for neuro inclusion. Throughout these platforms, she has over 90,000 people in her community. Because of this unique perspective that she provides as not only someone that's accomplished professionally, but also who identifies as autistic, now that you know a little bit more about who Rachel is, I think it's time to get into this dope conversation. Let's go. So let's get started. What we always do with the word authenticity It's a buzzword. Everyone is saying it, but we rarely stop and think about like, what does it actually mean? So for you, like when you hear the word, what, what does it mean to you?
0: For me, authenticity means living your life in a way that is without any shame and fully celebrates your identity without apology. I think we can talk about this later on, but I think for autistic folks in particular, as someone who is autistic, authenticity has such an important connotation behind it because many autistic people are forced to not be authentic to themselves purely to survive in culture, let alone thrive. And for many of us, there is this element of shame for celebrating our autistic identity that I've been privileged enough to, to be able to be on a path to overcome. And I think we have a very long way to go to celebrate disability in general with our full authentic selves, especially at work.
1: Tell me about that. You said being autistic, there are a lot of things that you have to hide or you feel the need to hide. Like what what do you feel the need to hide or did you?
0: I did for, for a very long time. I mean, I can give you my, my story. So I was diagnosed as autistic at the age of 30. I'm 32 now. And like many, um, especially autistic women and, and non-binary folks, uh, many of us found out and were diagnosed or self-diagnosed uh, during the pandemic, because for many of us, it was the first time we were told to stay home, not socialize, not be stimulated and kind of be in our safe spaces. And for me and a lot of other people, it was this moment of, I don't feel anxious anymore. I don't feel this crushing weight of uh, depression that, that I had struggled with for my entire adult life, which felt kind of weird because the entire world was freaking out and suddenly, like I personally felt very, very good. And it opened up this entire door to see that for most of my adult life, I wasn't living authentically to myself. I was performing an identity of what I thought was expected of me. I was running around New York. I was living a life that was very unhealthy to me, that left me in some some days unable to speak, unable to move because I was being so overstimulated as someone who was an undiagnosed autistic person. So unfortunately, most of my 20s were lived with nothing but inauthenticity. And now in my 30s, my entire life mission is to make sure that I never go back to living a life that was full of shame and stigma and hiding who I really was. Even if I didn't really know who who I really was because I was undiagnosed and I just didn't have the name for all the things that I was struggling with or the things that I was really good at. But now because I have that name and that identity behind it, I can be authentic and I can own who I am. And there unfortunately are still times where I feel like I can't, be authentically who i am and those are the times when i feel most shameful about myself but it's it's a journey and yeah. we're overcoming that
1: yeah like that diagnosis was in some ways validating of something that you were feeling but you couldn't put the words to it potentially you were like i don't feel comfortable in, in these environments i feel like i'm doing this and it's affecting me but like i, I can't put a a word to it and i can't put a name to it and also potentially it made it bigger than you like because sometimes when we think that we're the only ones going through this. We feel like we're the problem. But maybe that diagnosis was like, oh, wait, I'm not the problem. Like there are thousands of other people, millions of other people that are going through this like overstimulation as you're going as, as you're describing it.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's why I think labels around identity can be so important because it gives it gives an answer where previously we did. I thought I was the problem. I was diagnosed with OCD. I was diagnosed with anxiety, with depression any litany of mental illness I was diagnosed with. And autism is not a mental illness, it's a neurotype, it's a disability. And luckily I've, I I am privileged enough to have the supports that I do now to feel like I'm I'm thriving in my life because I can live authentically and I know the names for the things that I struggle with. I know the names for the things that I'm really good at and I'm able to sometimes mitigate the things that, I, that might be more challenging for me so I can live a life that isn't full of shame and inauthenticity. So yeah, absolutely, it's it's why I think a good parallel is I'm I'm also by being part of the LGBTQ community. Many of us live our life in the closet, unable to articulate how we're feeling, why we're feeling the way that we are. And when we see yeah. queer representation, we suddenly realize this is an amazing part of my identity. I wanna be a part mm-hmm. of this community. There's so much I can celebrate. And it's, I think, similar for people with disabilities as well, and unfortunately we're just, I think a little bit further behind in, in that regard when it comes to the disabled community.
1: Yeah, well, I think that perception of who we think that we should be in society, right? When we when we fake it and try to be this representation, I think it starts like so early on, right? So growing up, like like when did you first get that idea of like what this person should be that you thought you had to be outside in the world?
0: I love that question because it is it opens a door to a conversation that is so pervasive with many autistic women and girls. Most of the research around autism was done on young white boys. It's why when you look at representation around autism, you mostly are going to see young white children, mostly young white boys. And the way that women and girls are obviously socialized and people of color and queer folks can be very different. And therefore our representation and how we present autism can be very different. So going back to your your question about when did when did I learn this, How how did that inauthenticity really start as as a kid you learn as a child very early on what's going to make you suffer with your classmates or your peers and what's going to maybe help you help you survive in some cases or just fit in autistic women and girls there's a lot of research on this and i won't i won't attempt to try to articulate scientific (laughs) research as a girl who's not in stem but there's a lot of research about how women and girls are very good at parodying social behaviors that they see from their their peers in order to mask and to fit in. There, there's an official term in the autistic community called masking. And I think it's probably somewhat similar, although there's obviously very important cultural nuances to code switching with, with communities of color. Sure. Masking is when autistic folks basically cosplay as someone who's not autistic. We. We hide our stems, our, our movements that we do to, to release energy. We force eye contact. Um, we And in some cases, I, I still mask today. You can't see off camera, but I'm, I'm doing my, my little stems off camera. Uh, but it's something that you just learn early on what's going to ostracize you and what's going to help you in life. And I think, again, now as someone who's in their 30s, and it's quite a privilege to be able to say this, and, and I'm not dismissing that. I'm come to a point in my life where I feel so comfortable being autistic that if someone feels weirded out by how I'm behaving or they just think Rachel's a little weird, she's a little off. Yeah. I just don't care because everything mm-hmm. else about my autistic identity has led me to where I am and has and has given me the success that I've seen in my life today. All yeah. the things I'm really good at, public speaking researching and and hyper fixating on a really niche topic connecting with people one-on-one all of that i can relate back to my autistic identity so all the things that people don't like about me i'm fine with that because i love myself even more
1: well that's fascinating that masking is actually an official term because i've always heard that in just like conversations but i didn't know that it was like a like a medical thing but it, it it reminds me of just this idea of of us acting with the biological need to want to fit in I mean it's not just like a child thing I want to fit in now <laughs> we all want to fit it in into some sort of sort of, of of circle and I can't help but visualize you at a young age trying to mask and you, you're using certain words that I'm, I'm honestly hearing for the first time I think you said like stills is that what you said
0: Stims. S-T-I-M-S. So stims are sometimes you, I do this a lot. We just release energy. We'll, we'll move our bodies like this, or yeah. I don't have any of my stim toys here, but I was using a makeup brush to stim with. It's just a way for me yeah. to kind of regulate, regulate how I'm feeling. The simplest way that I can describe autism to people, and this is very reductive and not meant to be like the way I would describe autism. This is how I would describe autism for myself. I experience the world very differently than some people do. So naturally my just process the world a little bit differently. My senses can be a little bit different. They can be more heightened, they can be more dulled. I socialize differently. And that's the case for a lot of autistic people, but we all have different experiences. So other autistic folks might stem differently than me, but it's all in service of releasing energy and trying to regulate our, our feelings and our emotions.
1: Right, right. And. In this process, though, sure. And this maybe this is a story I'm making up in my head, right? But maybe you're in this social setting, you're a child, and you're, you know, stim. Whether you're grabbing something, you're stimming, Is it a verb or a noun?
0: Um, it can be both. So, stimming is the verb, and then okay, uh, the the noun,
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, let's say you're stimming, right? And maybe I'm making up this story, but I'm assuming that someone said something to you, or made you feel at some point in your life like other like you were different like maybe you should feel shamed for like why we're just having a conversation like what are you doing did that ever happen to you
0: oh pavel this is like a a therapy session now yes many many times i
1: and what were were you doing and yeah give me that
0: yeah i remember i was a figure skater growing up really Um, yeah which is like a whole other level of like of (laughs) learning to like of learning to mask and and not be your authentic self because there's there's so much that's a whole other conversation with intersecting with with misogyny and sexism, too, about how women are supposed to behave in, in those spaces. Anyways, I was a figure skater growing up, a competitive figure skater. And I remember it must have been like an elementary school, maybe in middle school. But I was on the ice and I was just spinning in circles like which as as you do, you're, you're doing some type of spin. But I was kind of spinning incessantly and just kept doing it. And I remember one of my peers came up to me and they were like, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, I don't know, I'm just having fun. Like it's, it, it. I was clearly stimming because a lot of autistic folks just spin in circles, but I was doing it for like five minutes straight. And their reaction was just so confused and almost ostracizing. Like, I don't want to be associating with you right now. I also have a lot of other memories too of, being made fun of for the way that i speak apparently i I don't know if i still do this but at the time i spoke in kind of a weird cadence which is also very common with autistic folks we have a very distinct speech pattern and i remember having to read out loud in class right when you had to everyone had to you like count count to three and the third person had to read panic every single time right
1: every time me too
0: yeah and i remember reading out loud and then somebody making a joke mocking how I was speaking. And I already was very introverted and very shy. And then having somebody then mock what was, I think, a very different speech pattern than my classmates in elementary school, just added all this anxiety on top of already being very shy. And it made me not want to speak out loud in front of people for a very long time. And then flash forward today where I'm a public speaker for, for a living, which is like the ultimate, the ultimate screw you to, to people shaming others for being a little bit different.
1: So what did that, like those things, and it's fascinating too, because in, in the in the figure skating example, who knows what that person was thinking, probably just like a curiosity as well, like. Hey, oh, it's been five minutes. Like, what are you? Are you, are you good? You know what I mean? Yeah. But meanwhile, for you, like, we can never control how someone's going to react. Like, for them, simple interaction for you. Like, imagine how long you probably held on to that example so long ago. So is it around some of those times when you started to mask? Like, because of some of those comments?
0: Yeah, I, I think. You know, I mentioned in the beginning that I had struggled with mental illness my entire adult life. I remember being a really happy, well-adjusted kid. I remember elementary school really just thriving because I wasn't masking. I was just being this like little weirdo child who was obsessed with with ponies and animals and figure skating and all all the things that people wouldn't have have caught have might have been a little bit different than, than another kid and had a disability. But I remember going into middle school and those social pressures start to compound a little bit more and being very hyper aware that I was always just a little bit different than some of my my classmates. And even if those comments were coming from a place of curiosity, the way that I was receiving them was a, you're a little bit different, why are you acting this way? And when you're a kid, you don't wanna be different, you just wanna fit in, You just you just want to As you said, even today, we just want people to like us. It's just natural human behavior. And that caused a lot of self-esteem and confidence issues for me for a very long time that even today I'm I'm still struggling with. But I think when you are disabled, when you are autistic, being made known that you are different than, than other folks and how you act, behave, speak, whatever, it can feel lonely, right? If, you're, if you don't have anybody else who looks like you, acts like you, behaves like you, whatever it is, and it's why representation is is so, so important, as, as I know you talk about this a lot on, on your podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that self-esteem probably carries itself into so many other things, right? So, here you are growing up and eventually you start thinking about, like, well, what do I want to do for a living? Do you think that idea of self-esteem ever limited what you dreamt about doing in the future?
0: Yes, in the sense that because I didn't know that I had a disability until I was 30, I was chasing dreams that were... that I could do, that I could achieve, that I knew I could achieve because I know I'm smart, I know I'm capable, but it wasn't going to be something that was going to be sustainable for me in the long run.
1: What did you mean? Like, what were you chasing?
0: I was living in New York. I was living a life that... You know, I'm I'm still in the same job that that I was in when I got diagnosed. So I'll I'll pivot back to how, how I have started chasing new dreams and even chasing some of the same dreams but doing them differently. Mm-hmm. I always knew that if I knew one thing for certain, I was very smart and I was very capable. And despite the fact that I might have had some self-esteem challenges. I always knew that i was very very able to do the things that i wanted to do and i chalked that up actually to having parents who took mental health very very seriously if i needed a mental health day they gave it to me if i needed to talk about my feelings my dad was the first one who wanted to talk about my feelings with me
1: oh that's beautiful
0: yeah like sh- shout out to my parents my parents are are legit some of the the best humans that i could have had as an undiagnosed autistic child mm-hmm.
1: you've been alluding to this idea of like chasing something that maybe wasn't necessarily for you or living this life that you didn't necessarily want trying to get more insight into like what were you chasing
0: yeah so for a very long time i thought that i wanted to live this very fast-paced girl (laughs) girl slay boss hustle culture vibe that i think we're all very disillusioned about now right And, and for a variety of reasons regardless of if you're disabled if you're a woman, a man, who whatever. We all, I think, have our own disillusionments with with hustle culture.
1: I mean, it's just but like for... what you see in the movies as well. Like everyone, when they make it, they make it in New York. The fact, you know what I mean? All of those kind of things. We see the hashtag it girl, girl all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's I get a lie,
0: it. right? Like it's 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 all it's all a lie. However, I thought I wanted this life that was very fast paced and based off of being very social and networking and and doing all all of these things and being being almost this like person that was just never going to work for me. I'm an introvert, I'm autistic, I struggle with sensory issues, and I'm still doing a lot of those things, right? Like you and I were just in South by uh, a few months ago. I just got back from Cannes. I'm not limiting myself to the things that I want to do, I'm just doing them differently. Before I go to any event now, I ask the event organizers, do you have a quiet space? Do you have a sensory space? Unfortunately, the answer is usually no. Then I need to go find a place where I can and be alone and be quiet with my headphones away from, away from crowds. I know now that if I'm going to go travel somewhere, I need to give myself a day buffer because I can't get off a plane and go do a big speech. It's just not going to work for me. Although I, I can achieve the things that I want to achieve, I'm still disabled and I'm not going to ignore the the access needs that I do have. So I think in short, I'm still doing and trying to achieve the life that I want, but I have to do it in a different way, which means accommodating my disability and accommodating my needs, which unfortunately I, I think a lot of people just don't take seriously enough. Your access needs, your support needs, they're part of your identity. And if employers want disabled talent as part of their ranks, They need to bring those accommodations to the table. Otherwise, you will not get the best from your disabled talent. And frankly, employers should really, really want disabled talent in their ranks because, again, we experience the world differently. We're going to be very, very creative because we see the world differently.
1: A thousand percent. I am like I want to bring it back to maybe you remember the first time you had to ask for and I don't know what the right word is, but. I don't know if you said needs or accommodations or just like whatever that is. I'm sure at some point you're working somewhere and you're just like, I know I need this, but uh, do I ask for that? Because if I do, then I reveal that I'm a needy person or I reveal that I need extra or different accommodations or whatever this is. Like, what sort of mental gymnastics were you doing? Like, what fears did you have or like, what stories were you making up in your head? It was like, oh, if I ask for this, they're going to fire me. You know what I mean? Like the drastic kind of things that we all go for.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a, it's a very big conversation that unfortunately, I don't think we're talking enough about in in workplace mm-hmm. settings, or at least in, in mainstream settings. Disability activists have been talking about this for a very long time. When I first started to think about what are those accommodations that I might need as someone who has a disability after I got my diagnosis, mm-hmm. it took me three months, maybe, of just sitting with it and literally writing down when i was feeling stressed when i when i was having days where i could no longer speak at the end of the day what did i do that day why did that happen and starting to uncover these are the things that are disabling me at work for example Mm -hmm. i really struggle with something called autistic inertia autistic inertia is a an issue that a lot of autistic folks have where we have a really hard time going back into a task if we've been interrupted and taken out of that task. So if you're jumping in and out of meetings all day, which I think a lot of non-autistic people struggle with this too, it just particularly affects and and disables autistic folks. If you're jumping in and out of meetings all day, right? If I am in a meeting at 8 a.m., have a 30 minute break, then have to be back in at nine, that 30 minute break is lost for me. I literally cannot do anything except maybe like file my emails so i'm not going to be productive i'm not going to be good at my job if i'm jumping in and out of meetings that was one of the first things that i identified and and realized one it's hurting me mentally right it's not mentally healthy for me to do this but two my company's not getting the best work out of me by by me jumping in and out of meetings all day every 30 minutes every hour so now one accommodation that that i've created for myself is i only do meetings in blocks from I work East Coast hours, so this Mm -hmm. doesn't sound as insane as as I will say it. I'll do meetings from like 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. 10 a.m. to three, no meetings. And -hmm. I just have those big blocks where I I do meetings and conversations. That has helped me more than anything else has with the exception of remote work. Remote work is something that I think is a very valid need for people with disabilities because we need our own space sometimes to be able to do our own best work. Mm -hmm. I can say with the utmost confidence that I've done the best work of my career, working fully remote. I'm also in a creative role and a very collaborative role. It is absolutely possible for remote work to foster creativity and collaboration. Mm-hmm. If you provide those support systems, it's not to say that yeah. I don't want to collaborate in person, that I'm not in person as I'm traveling all over the place, but having a remote work is something that also fosters the best work for a lot of folks as well. So it's, it's almost like this exercise of identifying when do I feel my best? When do I feel my worst? And how can I accommodate so my organization is getting the best out of me but I'm also taking care of myself
1: mentally? Yeah, or- I, yo, there's so much I'm getting like goosebumps because <laughs> there's there's so much to impact there and I'm relating so much to your experience. And and, I, and I'll get to that, but I think it's so important to to call out like I journal every morning. I try to journal at least once a day, typically in the morning, but it's this check-in of How am I feeling? How do I want to feel? But you're checking in every so often because there are so many moments throughout the day where it's just like we're going to be feeling different emotions depending on all these things. But not only that, you're taking it a step further and you're like, okay, I'm feeling like this, like what would make me feel better? Right. And then Mm -hmm. that's one thing that's just self-awareness to being able to recognize how you feel when and all these kind of things then you took it a step further and advocated for yourself at some point and were like, this is what I need. That said, that's scary. And then that can go one of two ways. You can have a very supportive team, company, et cetera, that'd be like, yeah, you're advocating for your needs, here are your needs. I remember I was working at Facebook and I've said this story mad times, but I need to work like independently, like with no one around me because I get distracted very easily, right? So- and all of these comp- in a lot of these like tech advertising companies, it looks like West Elm. They're beautiful offices. There's like little nooks and areas you can work from all over the office. So I never worked at my desk. That said, I was labeled unfriendly, unapproachable, all of these kind of things. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but am I hitting my sales number? Like, why are we talking about this? Right? But I would, I would, I got, I received sort of pushback for like my work style because that wasn't what everyone else was doing. Yeah, we shouldn't and, have like, to we
0: shouldn't have to cosplay our jobs. We should just be able to do our uh, jobs and do it in a way that is accessible to us if yeah. if you have a disability or you're just somebody who is very easily distracted. I also can't work in open office environments. It's it's I think it's a a shift that we need to see our industry make where we see that there isn't one working style. We're talking about DEI and I as part of that D E and I conversation in in our larger industry we need to talk about accessibility as part of that, as well as just different personality types. A lot of the things that I talk about, people who might not be disabled, might not be neurodivergent, might not be autistic. I hear from introverts all day, wait, me too, that would help me too. Like, same thing with you, right? Working in a space that is quiet and maybe separate from your coworkers, that's not a bad thing. We're all different that's okay right like that's part of the de and i conversation as well
1: yeah tell, tell me about a time if so that you were met with some resistance for any sort of like these requests though
0: i have to be honest i've been incredibly privileged and i wouldn't say this if, if this wasn't true and that i've received nothing but the, the support that frankly every disabled person should be receiving from from my leadership the minute that I came out to Autistic, to my leader at the time, my two leaders at the time, both of them jumped in and the fir- their first question was, is there anything that we can do at work to make you more comfortable? Which was yeah. such an informed and, and thoughtful response for yeah. for people that I wasn't sure even knew the right questions to ask. Yeah. And even even up to my senior leadership level, I received the support that that I need and I, haven't felt afraid to make those, those requests. That is not the reality for most autistic people. 80% of us are under or unemployed for a variety of reasons. One of which is that a lot of organizations are unwilling to create more neuroinclusive work environments for their autistic, ADHD, dyslexic, or otherwise neurodivergent employees. And as I said earlier, organizations should be clamoring to hire neurodivergent people because we do see the world differently and that's all creativity is. So it's really a shame that a lot of organizations don't take accommodations seriously because I think I'm a testament to, this is the creative power that you will get at your organization if you create accommodated work environments. So, but I also work for an organization that takes DE&I pretty seriously.
1: Yeah, no, and that's that's great. Not everyone does sort of like receive resistance. and And I think, like your diagnosis also comes at an interesting time, maybe whether it's age, whether it's title, whether it's a certain amount of experience where maybe you just felt really comfortable and confident advocating for yourself. I'm just wondering. I'm, I'm just curious. Right. We can't predict the future or go back. But I'm just like, I wonder if you received that diagnosis like very early in your career, would you have had the confidence to advocate for yourself?
0: Definitely not. Absolutely not. I think it's a, it's an mm. exercise in a couple of things. One is just having the, the age and the experience to know how to advocate for myself. I received my diagnosis when I was beginning to enter into a leadership role, right? Oh. Advocating for yourself when you're a leader looks very different than when you're very early in your career. And unfortunately, from what I hear on, on my platform as, as someone who's also a content creator outside of uh, my day job, most junior level people aren't able to advocate for themselves the way that they frankly should be. Even if they're doing all the things that they need to be doing, the people on the listening end, they might not be listening or hearing them correctly. I mentioned earlier having self-esteem issues. A lot of that came from not knowing that I was autistic in my 20s. So I think if I had that diagnosis earlier, it might have mitigated some of those self-esteem challenges. So I wasn't gaslighting myself or Wondering why I was, why every mental block that I had was a product of my own making. But I still think it was, it's been a, a privilege because I'm in a leadership role and because I'm surrounded by people who actually care about and understand that disability and access needs are just human needs. They're not special needs. There's nothing special about me just being able to do my own my job. But that shouldn't be the case. Every person who has a disability at work. Should be able to get the accommodations they need to be able to actually do their job and do it in a way that is healthy for them.
1: Yeah. Well, also, something I'm curious too like, was it around that time that you started leaning into or just like the swag that you have these days when it comes to like how you dress, the colors, and all these things? Because I, I did quite the the fifty two week look back, the fifty two week plus look back on your IG and you had like a, a gothic girl phase maybe this was like when you were in New York and at one point you just went full bright bold colors and even something like that is something that people were like so fearful to to show up to work because of these labels or these ideas of what a quote unquote professional is supposed to look and act like right like was it around that time as well that you just kind of leaned into that.
0: Very astute of you to notice. Yes, my style has completely changed since I was diagnosed as autistic. Like I've always been somebody who dresses for the thrill of it. Like I love fashion, always have, always will. But I, I was looking back at my own my own style archive on on Instagram from like five plus years ago, and I just look at that woman and I'm like, who is that? That is not <laughs> the way that I would dress. Like, why was I wearing like? J. Crew collared shirts. Like that, that is not me. I, I joke, I've returned to dressing how I would have wanted to dress as an eight-year-old. Like today, I know if it's a good outfit, if eight-year-old me would lose her seeing what I'm wearing. That is that is my marker of a good outfit. And I often say that the way that I dress is a reflection of how I actually want people to see me. Because unfortunately, being autistic sometimes, I think people misread my intentions, my social cues. I can't read social cues, it's part of being autistic. And because we can be so misunderstood, a lot of autistic folks actually use fashion as a visual communication tool to communicate how we're actually feeling when our traditional communication mechanisms might fail us in a, in a neurotypical world.
1: Interesting. I mean, no, but it it was like, you would have thought I was walking around with like Rihanna. Like when we went, when we left South by Southwest and we went to like some <laughs> restaurant, you the amount yeah, of that restaurant. people are stopping you and i was like oh i'm okay i felt like i, I felt like, you, like you're
0: you, you need to insert <laughs> the clip of that dress because that dress does does deserve its day in the sun it was this oh
1: yeah it does like
0: it was covered it was covered in ruffles but the ruffles were in shapes of roses yeah. and i bought this not knowing what, what i was going to wear it for but i was like this dress needs its moment and i'm on the south by with you
1: but you you never you didn't ha- like when was that i don't give a moment even about your style though because at some point you said like you went from hot topic to j crew <laughs> to, to who you are now and there had to be a like oh i'm going to be i'm going to be, be presenting this today ah oh, but they're not going to take me seriously because this is so like flowy and fluffy right or you were just like yo i'm going to wear it and you know what i mean
0: my you know my whole my take on life that has taken me 30 or 2 years to get here is that if someone isn't going to like you they're not going to like you anyway so you might as well wear the rainbow dress. You might as well wear the, the poofy outfit. You might as well present yourself how you feel best because the people who see you, who understand you, who want to be around you are going to love you all the more for it. And those are the people that I want to be around. I want to be the people around the people who understand my vision, might have a similar vision, they have a different vision at least they can at a fundamental level respect my perspective those are the people that i care about i don't care about the people that are going to be pressed about an outfit that i'm wearing that looks like it belong on my little pony like that sounds dope <laughs> to me that's what i those are the people i want to be around you're not yeah. going to win them over anyway so why try right just just it sounds so cliche but just being yourself is the most radical form of self-love that you can give to the world and to give to yourself.
1: Agreed. And I think it's really important to talk about those people that you're referencing, right? Because on some level, I think you start becoming the representation maybe like you wish you had when you were younger, right? So now you're the representation for a lot of people. And not only in your workspace, but you're a content creator. And you're talking about these things that used to be very hush-hush publicly you're showing the fits you're having these conversations. you're talking about these labels that you were once ashamed of and early we spoke about resistance but i think it's also important to talk about the love that you probably receive from people so what sort of what sort of comments or dms or kind of things do you get about the representation that you've become i wish
0: that i could save some of the the most loving messages or comments that I get from some people because I don't think people know how much they mean to me because as- You don't screenshot these? There's been a couple that I that I screenshot, but I, I almost don't want to betray some of the things that people confide in me by screenshotting it and saving it. I, I understand yeah. that it might be a little bit private. So there are some that I, I do save just for me, but I think you can understand when you're online, The mean people are so mean, right? They, it's like, go touch grass, go have a, go have a snack. I'm sorry, you're so cranky, (laughs) but the people, some of the people that I've I've connected with who express how I've helped them, it makes all of that worthwhile, right? Like all the garbage that you have to put up with. I had somebody reach out to me and I think I, I think I might've told the story on a TikTok at some point. Somebody reached out to me who's a therapist. They're they're not autistic. And they had been working with a girl, a young girl who was in her teens for a couple of years. And this this girl was suicidal, had tried to take her own life, and they couldn't figure out what what was going on with her. And she found my videos and started to realize that some of the things that I was talking about, the the young girl that she was working with also reflected and, and had similar experiences with. And she told me that she advocated to the parents to get her an autism evaluation. The parents were very resistant because of the stereotypes and the stigma and the misinformation that exists around autism. Finally, she was able to break through to them and turns out this, this girl is autistic. And now, however many months later, this girl is now thriving because she has a label, she knows her strengths, she knows the things that she needs support with. She knows she's not broken, she's just autistic. Right. And as somebody who has been in pretty dark places mentally to the point where before the pandemic, I almost checked myself into a mental hospital because I was so burnt out by living a life that wasn't healthy for me, mm-hmm. that hit me like a punch in the gut because if I could help just one person feel seen and validated and supported and get the support that they need, that's all I would ever need to do in my life. Like. I would never need to do anything again after hearing that story. And I hope she's doing okay now because from what I heard from the therapist she was doing great or doing better, I should say she was doing better after getting the support that she needs. So that's just one story. I have so many others of maybe slightly less serious in tone but but similar outcomes where people feel like they can thrive and be authentically themselves. And that's All I ever want is for people just to feel seen and validated and like they can be themselves regardless of who you are, if you're disabled or you're not.
1: Yeah, I mean, I tell people all the time, like people want to launch these nonprofits, they want to launch their own company, they want to start these whatever it is. And I'm just like, yo, one of the most powerful things you could do is literally just be yourself. Yeah, literally just by doing that, you can change the world. And that's just one example. I, I see thousands of people watching commenting following all of your stuff and it's powerful
0: thank you I mean it's sometimes I have moments of imposter syndrome of ooh yeah. am I qualified to talk about this or ooh should I talk like this is a little cringy maybe I don't want to talk about this mm-hmm. but then just seeing if it can help one person who the hell cares if I'm being cringy who the hell cares if I don't have, you know, there's things that I, I don't feel comfortable talking about on my platform as someone who's autistic. Um, I can only talk about my experiences. And if someone relates to that, amazing. And if they don't, that's okay, too. Yeah. On the note of representation, I'd love to talk about a project that we just launched, if, if you're cool with that.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, listen, we've spoken about a lot of personal things. But I think what you're talking about and, like, sharing your story, I think, I think it also, in the representation you're creating... I think it's important to note that you work in an industry that has billions of dollars being invested in creating representation as well. Like the media that we see in the world is representation It influences what we think we can do. Influences how we believe that we should be showing up in the world. So I think I love the work that you're doing also just from a professional side. So tell me a little bit about some of like the new narratives that, that you've been rolling out.
0: Yes. We a few months ago started working on a a project um, to shift the representation of autism and media. If you go onto any search engine today and you type in autism or autistic, pretty much every example you're going to see, with little exception, is a stereotype, misinformation, or harmful imagery. You're usually just gonna see like young white children, mostly boys, as we talked about earlier reinforcing the old, old myth that autism is a disability that doesn't affect girls or women or people of color or LGBTQ folks, although we're much more likely to be queer or trans in the community. Harmful imagery like the puzzle piece, the autistic community actually like mostly emphatically rejects the puzzle piece. A puzzle piece infers that we're a problem to be fixed or a puzzle to be solved and not that we're a valid identity to be celebrated. Or you'll see a lot of misinformation, like things about anti-vax content, linking autism to vaccines, which has been debunked time and time again, and other other types of misinformation that harm the community. I was very frustrated by this because, as, as you mentioned, we work in an industry that is very influential with not only the dollars that we we hold, but also the communication power that our industry has. So, while I was frustrated, I knew that this was a problem that we were very well-equipped to at least begin to fix. So we have been working with a company called Hiki. Hiki is an app for the autistic community. They're like Bumble, where they connect autistic folks to romantic relationships, friendships and community. They were created specifically to address the loneliness crisis that the autistic community faces. Where upwards of 80% of us report feeling socially isolated. So Jamil, who's the founder of HIKI, him and I have been working together across WPP on some strategic work for HIKI. Then we put our heads together and we thought, what is something that we can do that addresses this big challenge of why autistic people feel so socially isolated? And we launched a project at Cannes a couple of weeks ago called hashtag autistic out with Getty Images. This is an image bank of self-portraits of autistic people taking self-portraits of themselves to represent their identity, their experiences in a way that the industry has never or very rarely represented us. And we specifically chose self-portraits because we wanted autistic folks to actually communicate for themselves, represent themselves, and show themselves as they would want to be seen. Right. This lives on Getty's disability collection. So it's commercial commercially available for brands to license. We have a couple of brands who are pledging to use the the images and the assets to unstereotype stereotype representations of autism. But it's also available on Unsplash. So anybody can go on and use some of the images that we have of these self-portraits of autistic creators from very, very different backgrounds. We wanted to ensure we were representing as much as we could a very diverse autistic experience. The work isn't done, we need to work with more creators. We have a number of other things that we're working on with this project, but I also contributed to the project as a creator. So both leading it behind the scenes and contributing to it as a a content creator. So all that to being said, this was the absolute honor of my career to work on this and putting the word out there for any brands that want to be a part of this, we need brands to be using these images to start to further remove the stereotypes that we see in our community.
1: I I love all of that. I mean, it reminds me of a friend who whenever she puts PowerPoints together or like presentations for her clients, she's in sales, she works at Google. She actually specifically goes to the client's website and looks for commercially available images of black people on their own website and uses those images in the decks mm. to, again, like change the perception of what like black people look like in the financial industry, whatever it is. And like you said, like this is commercially available for anyone to use. Like you're not only educating the people in the room, but you're also providing representation that we can all use in yeah, the future. Exactly. I'm curious, like, how do you think this all was received at Cannes?
0: It was received incredibly well. Actually, more, it exceeded every expectation that I had. We had a number of different stages that we were sharing it on, and we very strategically wanted to launch at Cannes because as that's where all the marketing decision makers are. Those are the people who we needed to win over in addition to winning over the the larger public about embracing more diverse representations of autism. So in the industry, we've had some really strong success so far, Uh, the Unstereotype Alliance, which we were talking about a little bit earlier before we started, Uh, they're the UN, the United Nations commercial and advertising arm. They've given their support and backing to this, which is incredible. Uh, We have Google and IBM, the weather company, who've pledged to use the images as part of some of the work that they're doing. I was on stage with Randy, who's the CMO of the weather company at Cannes, and on stage she pledged to use the images, which was just completely unprompted and was just like, this is the right thing to do, but it's also something that every marketer should be thinking about. If you are are undertaking representation work, you should be thinking about invisible disabilities as part of your entire marketing mix, because we make up a significant portion of the population, right? People with disabilities, 15% of the population. Why wouldn't you want to better represent our community not only because it's the right thing to do, it just makes sense from a business perspective too?
1: Wow, that I mean, it's not what I expected to hear from success metrics, but yeah, exceeded my expectations of what you were gonna say. <laughs> That's <laughs> yes. amazing yeah.
0: yeah, we're we're pretty stoked about it. We have more work to do, more things to come. So watch this space, but it's it's been, as I mentioned, the absolute honor of my career to be able to work on this project and to every partner leader who lended their support to like it. it was just so much gratitude from people wanting to support this project.
1: And we we spoke a lot about a lot of personal things, the shame and then transitioning into like how those things go into school and in the work setting. And I think if if you if you didn't have that diagnosis, if you didn't experience those certain things, like you would have never done this sort of work that seems to be some of the most fulfilling but also just from like a quality standpoint maybe some of your best work right and I think that's the powerful part of leaning into like authenticity like if you never did that you would have never been I mean you probably would have been on stage at Cannes but talking about something else that maybe wouldn't have been as fulfilling
0: oh, you hit the nail on the head I, I actually had a very similar observation as I was leaving Cannes I thought... Everything that I've done until this point, I truly believe led me to doing this project. And I think it was very astute of you to, to observe. I don't think I could have done this project if one, I knew I was autistic earlier in my life and I'll touch on why in a minute. And two, I don't think that my work would be as as good as as it is today without those those experiences. Do I think people have to suffer to do their best work? No, I don't think anyone <laughs> should ever have to suffer. But I also think there's there's an element of you go through the hard knocks of life to learn who you aren't. So you can really start to learn who you actually are. You can quote me on that. So yeah, it it was, it's been an absolute, absolute pleasure. And I'm just so grateful to everybody who's, who's worked on it from Getty Images, Hiki, and anyone at WPP who touched the work.
1: Yeah. And we'll link all of those in the show notes in the description. Last question. You're not done growing. Obviously we're all still working on each other. What's the one thing that inspires you or empowers you to continue being your most authentic self, regardless of the space.
0: The one thing that inspires me to continue to be my own most authentic self, it kind of goes back to what I was just saying. I don't think anyone should have to suffer to to thrive and to live their best life. But I think when you've gone through hell of living a life that doesn't feel good, that leaves you feeling so ashamed. But there were days that I, I, I woke up and there's no other way I can say it. I felt like I could die from shame. I didn't know why, I didn't know what was wrong. I just felt so ashamed of myself and I thought, God, why why do I feel this way? Like Everything's good on paper, but I feel like I could die from shame. When you've gone through that type of experience, not, and, then, and then on the opposite end, you start to get the, the flavor and the sense of who you really are, that feels so good. There's no way that I wanna go back to, to waking up and wanting to die of shame. And being able to start to feel good in your, your skin, acknowledging all the things you're great at, all of the things that you're not, and just regardless feeling kind of neutral about all of it and just loving yourself regardless. That feels so, how could you go back, right? All, all I want to do is, is be my authentic self. And it's why heading into this year, my number one I don't make resolutions, I, I make themes for myself. My theme for this year was to just be myself. It sounds so simple, sounds almost elementary, right? That's something we tell a kid in elementary school. But I needed to hear that this year. And that it's felt really, really good.
1: Mi gente, that wraps up this week's episode of the Can't Do It This podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please do us a favor like share comment wherever you're listening please leave a rating and review this just helps ensure that these experiences get heard by as many people as possible and that's the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism thank you see you next time